0: All right, I'm here today on the gutter grind with Megan Beattie, who I know very well. Um, Megan and I have worked together for many, many years, going back uh, 15 years or more, and um, got her on the show today to talk about home shows and events, because just after the turn of the year, the home shows are going to be back on the calendar, and it's a very viable way to generate leads, and we want to talk about how to... Do a great job with home shows and events, and there's nobody better to talk to you about it than Megan Beatty. Uh, so, Megan, do us a favor give the listeners a little background, a little backstory on your history growing up in the remodeling industry and, and why you're so qualified to talk about this subject in particular.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on on the podcast, Tony. And I'll be happy to share some more information for those of you that that haven't heard about my background. So, um, you know, I started at my first real home improvement company uh, back in 2005, 2006-ish, around then. And, uh, you know, I was brought in sort of as a part-time job to become a telemarketer to set up sales appointments for a window siding and roofing company in the Kalamazoo, Michigan market. And I came in and met with the owner for an interview. And within about 30, days, uh, he said, can you be the manager of our call center? And before that, I had some telemarketing experience for vacation memberships. And it's kind of where I cut my teeth in the, the marketing realm. Well, the same type of principles worked in the home improvement industry. So it was it was very interesting. I, I climbed the ladder pretty quickly in terms of that. And then within about a year, I became the marketing director and I ran a very successful Sam's Club program where we generated leads inside of the, the store, um, as well as a show and event program and a canvassing program, which is actually uh, where I met Tony. So after I took over the call center, we saw a lot of success. I grew that. I put a couple people in place in leadership uh, so I could do other things. And so Tony was brought to my company to teach me how to knock doors. The owner said, well, you can run a call center. You should be able to run a canvassing team. And I said, sure. I just have no idea how to canvas. So if you can help me with that part, I'd be happy to help. And so uh, the week later, Tony Hody was in our office and uh, we were going out to knock doors and uh, that was an interesting endeavor on the first day we met we'll we'll get into that later we don't have a ton of time Um, but you know we had a great great time going out to the field and i learned most of what i know about outbound marketing from tony and that began on that day so uh, fast forward i stayed at that company about three years we grew their lead generation to around they were doing about net revenue about 10 million a year when i left Um, and then i took a couple months off and i wound up at another company in the Grand Rapids market, all-weather seal of West Michigan. And so we did windows, siding, roofing. We also dabbled in some gutter protection. Um, So we did a few different things. We've done walk-in tubs and and things of that nature. And that's where I really, uh, you know, grew my abilities. I learned 10-step selling. Um, I learned a lot about the home improvement industry in general. Um, But there I did the same thing where I came in to start one department and I grew into other departments. And so I came there to start a canvassing division. They needed some more leads. Then I had to fix a couple call center problems that were affected the canvassing division then there was the home show program they already did some home shows but they did what most companies do nowadays at home shows tony which was they would just sort of go to the show with some displays some literature some pens and paper and they would just hope for the best. Right. And so beautiful displays um, person that was running the program was, you know, had their heart in the right place. They really wanted to do well, but that person was more of a person that was on the side of marketing. That's more focused on branding. And she just really didn't understand lead generation the way I did. So I ended up moving into that space and we grew our program. Um, at that point, the company was doing about 1.7 million per year. A couple of years later, we were doing 6, 7, 8 million. And that was almost exclusively Home and Garden Show leads and sweepstakes leads coming from Home and Garden shows um, that we were able to grow to that volume. Um, so that's really my claim to fame. You know, I I take old leads, future buyers, and we convert them to to now buyers. So. That show and event program grew to 300 shows per year. So we were doing five to seven shows a week. We would do everything from home and garden shows to strawberry festivals. I did a Wizard of Oz festival once, like a lot of of interesting, you know, places. But if homeowners were there, I wanted to be there. So um, I left there in 2021. I'm now a consultant full time for, as you know, Tony Hody Consulting. Um, But I also own a retail operation where I install fences here in West Michigan. So um, got a couple irons in the fire and, uh, you know, pretty much all of my experience has has been in the aggressive outbound marketing arena and that includes many many shows and events so
0: why do you think home shows are a real viable source of lead generation for contractors home improvement companies for those that you know are going to market other ways you know why should they step into the home show arena if they haven't done it before
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I get that quite often is shows and events, right. For my company. Why, why should I use this as lead generation? Um, You know, one of the reasons that it is so viable is because number one, we're sort of controlling our own destiny. Um, if we wanna be able to get more leads, we go to more shows. If we have a process that works, that is a very viable situation that you can build an entire program out of. So like I said, we grew ours from you know 1.7 million to six and seven million just in show and event leads. Um, and, and why so many people don't wanna do it or, or wonder if it's a good fit is because it's a lot of work, Tony, like we have to put together a lot of scheduling, a lot of coordinating booths. Um, do we do this show? Do we do that show? There's a lot of decisions to make. So so there does have to be a certain amount of leadership. We need an event coordinator. And so there are some things that people will say, wow, that sounds like a lot of work. And it is. However, it is also self-sustaining, which means other than a pandemic that cancels all the events, which I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, for that reason, any other, any other show and event program other than something like that catastrophic happening, um, you know, you can get leads out of just about anywhere. If there are homeowners there, we can generate leads. And so, uh, you know, home shows are are back. I mean, we're getting a lot of requests for that. I'm getting a lot of people saying, hey, we've decided we want to have a lead source of marketing coming in, um, of face-to-face marketing. And the reason people are doing that and why home shows specifically, you know, we'll talk about other events too, but why home shows specifically is you have to think of the consumer's mindset when they go to a home show. These are people who pay between $10 and $20 to get in, to be solicited by home improvement companies. Yeah. We would kill for that lead. If someone went online and said, I'll pay $20 to go on your website and look at who you are, we yeah. would all be diving in.
0: <laughs> and here in our market in Cleveland, they got to pay $10 to park before they pay 20 bucks to get
1: in. Right. Right. there you go. That's exactly what I'm saying. so the 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 point of the home show lead being good is because people have taken physical and financial action to show their interest, right? And so all of us say, "Oh, wow. When you think of it from that side of of the coin, wow, people did take financial action. Their mouth might tell you they're not interested, but their mouth will tell me a lot of things, right? What their actions told me is they paid twenty dollars to get in to be solicited. So for me, Wow, no better demographic than someone who's looking to improve their home and will pay to see people that will help them with this. Right. So home shows, when you think of it like that, why wouldn't we do them? Amen. So you say
0: they're coming back. I mean, are, are you seeing that all the shows are back and that, you know, you think attendance will be back where it was pre-COVID?
1: It will. Yeah. And and I know that because I'm seeing a massive amount of requests for I need to build a home show program. Can you help? Um, I need to build a home show program because all the shows we used to do years and years ago are back. And then we're seeing some other ones pop up too, some newer shows. And I think people are ready to get back out into the world. And I think with this, attendance will come back. Now, last year, uh 2022 and 2021, I did shows uh, with different companies. Some of my clients I actually went to the show and worked with them. And we didn't see as much attendance as we would have liked to see but right. you know there's a silver lining in everything because not only were there less people coming in the front door that we could talk to but guess who else there was less of vendors
0: right
1: so instead of having 20 competitors in the room with me I've only got five I'll take that all day long so yeah. there's a flip side too
0: yeah and you know I was out doing some holiday shopping and people are out and about <laughs> and you know and I was talking to Chris Williamson about, um, you know, New York City's finally back, you know, for the holidays, Times Square. And yeah. so people are out there and, and you know, they're spending. And uh, it, it seems that, you know, that COVID was a, a temporary thing and, and things are rebounding nicely. And obviously yeah. with, you know, a little bit of retraction in, in the marketplace, it's, it's time for us to start manufacturing leads again. Like you said, your phone's ringing, my phone's ringing. We've got to get out there and do this now. We can't just wait for the fish to jump in the boat like they have been for quite some time now. So what basic advice do you have for setting up, you know, your display and kind of preparation and planning if you've never done a home show before?
1: Well, uh, the first thing you could do is you could call the experts and get some help. Obviously on the Tony Hody consulting team, we, we do this, but even if it's not us, even if it's not us that helps you, Find someone else who's been successful and at least get some information from them. So first of all, it's always helpful to have a a discussion partner, to have someone to say, hey, what do you think about this? You've done this before. So get some help in whatever form that looks like. Get get some help. Um, The other thing to think about is we have to consider a lot of factors. We have to consider the size of our booth. You know, quite often people ask me my opinion on the size of the booth based on the amount of displays they want to bring. In my opinion, uh, displays are important. However, for me, it's more of how many people do you have that can staff the show? Because I've had 17 people in a booth before because I had that staff to be able to do that. And so our booth space was dramatically larger than many other companies. So... I I really, I care more about the amount of people that you're going to need room for in the booth along with the customers. Um, The one little tidbit I would say that I see most people doing wrong um, that I would really like to share this because anytime you do a home and garden show, you know, there's always these naysayers on the back end that come out and they don't get a return on their investment. And then they say shows don't work. Um, It's not the show that didn't work. And so sometimes we don't have our booth set up properly so that people feel comfortable and invited to come in. And so quite often, you walk by a home show, you look at all the booths and they're all very similar. You've got displays in the back, you've got a table in the very front blocking the customer from getting into your booth and you have two people playing on cell phones sitting in chairs behind the table, okay? If that is your strategy and plan, you will come out the other side and you will say, we tried it, didn't work, didn't get our money back. And uh, I agree, if that's what you're going to do, don't waste your money. Don't do it, don't go, don't put the staff in place, don't ask salespeople to work the booth. All those things are bad choices. The first thing I would say is the front of the booth needs to be open so that the customers can freely flow in, okay? You have to have different access points because you have a very minimal time at a home show. There's so much going on. There's so many people. There's uh, cooking going on over here and there's food frying and you could hear it. And you've got all these different things going on. You have a limited amount of time. If the customer looks at your booth and it looks too difficult or complicated to get in, they just keep going. They don't have time for you. And so we have to immediately... Make it look very inviting. Oh, come on in. We we can't stand sort of guard at the edge, you know, to where they feel like they don't have the freedom to come in and take a look at your at your displays. So get the table out of the front of the booth. Don't don't have a chair in the booth if you have people there for a very long periods of time. If you wanted to put a stool in the back that they could sort of perch up on to take short breaks if they're the only person there, you could do that. I really prefer no sitting in the booth. Um, I think it sets a bad precedent. I think it's too easy to be lazy when the sh- when the show is slow. Um, and it doesn't really scream that the customer is our first priority. So those would be my small tips for the setup, because we have a very limited amount of time when someone's walking by to get yeah. their attention.
0: I think it's great advice to, to network with other companies that are doing well. You, know, you can network through your supplier, find out from your supplier, someone that buys this from the same manufacturer that you do. If you're in a franchise mm-hmm. group or a dealer group, you know, network with those companies. That's great advice. Let me ask you, in preparation for the show, some companies have had a lot of success with sponsorships and getting Mm -hmm. their name out front and, you know, omnipresence and, you know, kind of getting their name more well known, more well recognized at an event than, you know, many of their competitors that are kind of in the background. What do you how do you feel about sponsorships? What do you think to look for in terms of any sponsorship opportunities that may exist?
1: Sponsorships are great as long as we can see a path of how that's going to lead us to more lead generation. Um, what, what I'm not a fan of that I see that happens quite often in our industry is the show producer will sort of talk us into this extra two, three, four, five thousand five thousand dollars that they want us to spend so that we can put a banner out front so people know that we're here. Um, I have to ask myself if I'm budget minded as a, as a director of marketing, is that a good spend? right? And sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. It really depends on the exact details and the benefits as a company that you're going to receive, right? So if, if, A sponsorship means you'll allow me to stand out and sort of offer free parking coupons that we have purchased, right? As a draw, um, then that sponsorship would be worth it because I'm able to talk to people before they even get into the show, right? Um, If that signage means every time the customer looks down to put something in their bag, they see something on the ground with our company logo and everywhere they look, there's our company logo, then that would be worth it, okay? But there has to be some... Way that we're able to quantify that this is going to either drive traffic to our booth. Or we're going to be able to generate more leads in a different fashion uh, at the at the property somewhere. I mean, you've been successful before with parking lot. Um, some of us have been successful uh, with doing things just inside the door. So there's a lot that we can do with that, um, as long as we are, you know, very present with what we're getting back in terms of our, our sponsorship. We can't just sponsor things and just just hope it works out and sort of cross our fingers and say, well, I hope we get phone calls from this. That's not a strategy, unfortunately. So it's totally fine that we sponsor, but there has to be a strategy that that sort of leads to that payback still happening as a result. Yeah.
0: And, you know, I think driving traffic to the booth, however you can, is is the way to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. You had mentioned that you had 17 marketers at one point in a a large uh, exhibit space at at a home show. Uh, Let me ask you this. You use the word marketers. Do you ever have salespeople? In, in staff the booth the, you know, there, there's a, a debate on whether that's a good idea or a bad idea. What are, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, well, that depends on the result you want. If you want the most leads possible and the most sales possible, do not let a salesperson work the booth. Um, I understand at some companies it may be a necessary evil if you're small. In the beginning, you might say to yourself, well, we don't have anyone, so we'll just have salespeople work in the booth. And while that seems like a good idea, Human beings, as much as I hate to say this, but I have to say it all the time because it's part of how I explain, you know, the way consumers think as well. Human beings are selfish and self-centered to the core. Like we care about me first, me next, you never. And, you know, for good reason. I mean, there's a reason when you're on an airplane and it's going down, they tell you to put your mask on first. I mean, you're, you're, not, you're not going to be any help to anyone else. Right? right. And so you have that. Salespeople are looking for the person they believe is going to buy. Marketers are looking for the people that want a free estimate. Two different mindsets. So we ask ourselves why on earth would we put the salesman who's best suited and whose strengths are closing in house with the homeowner? Why would we try and make him the best opener in the company? He's usually not. His skill set is usually not that he's looking for the estimate. The person that wants a free quote, the person says to the salesperson, they were not going to buy anything this year. And the salesperson says, Oh, you're going to be interested next year. I'll call you when you are interested. The marketer says, Oh, I don't care when you do anything. I just want to get you the information if, and when you do anything's completely up to you. So the sheer number of leads you'll write as a result of those mindsets, completely different from marketer to salesperson. Salespeople also are put at a disadvantage. We put them in a really tough position doing that Tony, because when people ask them for an average price, they have two choices: lie or give the average price, and neither one usually gets us in the house. So it's a missed opportunity. And so for me, that just it doesn't make sense. And anytime I've worked alongside a salesperson in a booth, there's they just already think they know, you know, and it, and it's hard to convince them they don't because. Our process is to sell appointments, their process is to sell products, and it's two different things, Um, and unfortunately, we just sort of rely on that because that's all we have sometimes, but that can really hurt us because they're not looking, they're not looking for, and plus, they're not going to supply leads for the whole sales team, they'd like to supply leads for themselves, of course. So, you know, there's a few things to consider there. So if it has to be done, I mean, you could, but I, I really prefer not to do that. I'd rather hire someone for 12 bucks an hour in commission and, and put them out there and train them and hire Megan to train them for a month. And you'd have better results than putting a salesperson in a booth. Right. So yeah.
0: once you get marketers in the booth and they're, mm-hmm. they're the group that's actually staffing, you know, the home show or, or the mm-hmm. event, what tools do you like to equip them with Whether it's literature, whether it's giveaways, prize wheels, what kind of tools do you think are effective um, displays for marketers to have at their fingertips to get maximum results?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And that is one that I think is is highly overlooked. Sometimes, you know, um, too often people will say, um, you know, oh, we're just going to bring some brochures and uh, we'll bring a couple displays and a pull-up banner. And they sort of, they hope something magical is going to happen and it doesn't. And then they say, oh, I don't know what happened. Well. What happened was you need a variety of things to to pique the customer's interest. Yes, you need displays. Yes, you need signage and banners that have your company logo on it. But that stuff is actually more overrated than having people in the booth that know what they're doing that have an effective engagement tool. And that's kind of what you were asking. You know, what kind of things are the marketers equipped with for engagement? Well, first of all, we have to have something that we're saying to people. You know, we can't just stand out there and carnival bark, free estimate, free estimate, come over here, all homeowners eligible. That's not going to be effective. Um, but we have to either get something in the customer's hand. We have to ask them a thought-provoking question. or We have to start some sort of intelligent conversation in some fashion, okay? And so the engagement tool to stop people you know, we can do a variety of things at home and garden shows. You can be successful without like a, a gimmicky hook, you can because people pay to get in and see home improvement companies. However, if they weren't there for windows or they weren't there for gutters, they're there for flooring, and you sell gutters, you'd still like to bring them into the booth, right? So, yeah. we should have something. So, I've seen a lot of success, you know, with a few different things. Um, you know, if you're selling countertops, if you're bathrooms and kitchens, to have two samples of quartz and granite that you can get in someone's hands, you know, what that sample does is it acts as if it's a tether The customer has it in their hand and they can't go anywhere because they have to give it back to you now if your hands are behind your back they can't give it back to you so i've just bought all the time i need to have a conversation and at home and garden shows it's not always about the appointment sometimes it's about buying yourself another 20 seconds to speak to them about what they have on their home i've seen a lot of success with gutter companies um, whether you're selling protection or just gutters to be able to have a piece of whatever you're offering you just get it in their hand you just hand it out in the aisle And, and a lot of times people look at it and go hmm Oh, look at that. Right. Whether they need gutters or not, we don't know yet. But what we've done is we've stopped and we've bought them some time. There's also some fun game type of things we can do. You you've uh, referred to the spinning wheel. Um, You know, we've done slot machines in the past. Um, Scratch off cards. Also, you know, some companies are using scratch off cards where you can win 500 bucks off your project or you could win a big grand prize of a gift card of some sort. um, Or if you're giving away a, a home makeover contest. But the important thing is, is that we have to engage with the customer, whether it's through samples, whether it's through conversation. The other thing is, we could use a laminate. A laminate is very pop, is very uh, uh, helpful when you're trying to get the customer's information and get them engaged. What a laminate is, it's a we call it a product selection chart. Um, we have a paper that's laminated, and it has about six simple examples of things we do. Could be two, could be four, could be six, whatever. But we might have if we carry multiple products. We might have bay window, replacement window, siding, roofing, gutters, doors... Or if we carry one product, and like it's gutters, for, for instance, we might have gutter protection, just gutters. We might maybe if we offer cleaning or anything like that, we could put that on there as a service. But having a visual representation of what we do to be able to show people and get them to point to one that they might have an interest in in the next couple of years, that can be really positive as well, right? Um, I also, I operated on a sweepstakes model for a lot of years, so I heavily believe in that. If I'm giving away a project that they would take if they won for free, it's a great way to generate. Conversation. Hey, we're having a giveaway fifteen thousand towards a window project. If you did win, what do you think you might pick? I've got my laminate and my product selection chart very handy for people to choose. Oh, we got everything done but the gutters. Oh, we're having some leaf problems. Oh, well, when you say leaf problems, what do you mean specifically? And then we've already we're already engaged halfway through the conversation, so it was it was great. I mean, I, I really think that that is also a viable as long as you have a process that supports that. Yeah. And
0: so now that we've got them in the booth and we've got them engaged, we've got them excited about something, we've got some conversation going, Mm -hmm. should we be collecting information, collecting data, getting their name, address, phone number, and allowing the office staff, the call center to get in touch with them at a future date? Or should we be booking appointments right there at the booth in the exhibit, you know, immediately, you know, strike while the iron's hot? What are your feelings
1: on that? Ultimately, if I if everything is set up properly, I wanna book appointments in the booth. That's my first goal, right? Because you have to capitalize on when the customer is most excited, okay? So if they are most excited when they're looking at your bathroom display or they're watching your gutter display and you've got running water and it's showing you how the leaves are just not even going in there and the customer's like, wow, that's really cool. They're at the height of excitement about their projects, okay? They're not going to go home on their own and become more excited. So what they're going to do, however, is go downhill and cool off. It's just like when we go out in the home, Tony, like we give them a quote, that's the height of excitement. That's when they usually buy. If they don't buy when we're there, sure, we can follow up. Sure. You know, we'll get a few sales from that for sure. But the height of excitement, they go down. They don't get more excited on their own. So ultimately, I like to book appointments in the booth if i'm not set up for that meaning i don't have a call center that can call these or i don't have a call center that can confirm these you know i don't i have a schedule that i have 75 salespeople. and there's no way to keep track i mean i have a lot of clients that are super large they might take a name and number and call back later we convert more if we set appointments in the booth however overall if you look at the studies when you set appointments in the booth and the customer has made that commitment to you personally in the booth we end up with way more demos and way more sales as a result versus just taking a name and number and then you know you get you get a lot of opposite party kills you know you you get a husband that says oh sure yeah we could use some gutters i'm tired of cleaning them gets home his wife goes you know we're not spending any more money this year what are you talking about and if there's no commitment that we have an appointment that he has some literature he can show her to say no honey look it's just a free estimate you know if we don't have any of that because we didn't set an appointment and you know we don't have an appointment reminder in their hand and there's no commitment it's very easy to back out of that it's very easy to to say no and then that'd be the end of the boat, so.
0: Yeah, you're walking right into conversions there. You know, that that's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, getting these appointments to convert and I think that's a big reason why so many companies kind of struggle with home shows, live events because they go there, they, they collect names and numbers or they even may generate appointments and they, they start to realize that not all of these appointments are converting into actual demonstrations. They're getting cancellations, reschedules, um, not getting in touch with people to confirm, so on and so forth. What can companies do to elevate those conversions and to increase the rate of people actually going from booking an appointment in your booth to following
1: through with the demonstration and ultimately buying? Yeah, there's a few different things. So, first of all, getting something tangible in their hand is important, but there's a lot of other things we can add to that. Um, first and foremost, one thing that's highly overlooked is getting more than one phone number. If we know we're texting, if we know we're calling, if we know we have to confirm, um, if those are the, the things we're going to have to do, we can increase our probability of getting a hold of people by simply asking for secondary phone numbers. Everyone has two cell phones if they're in some sort of relationship. So, you have a husband and a wife, or you have a wife and a wife, or if fiance and fiance, whatever it might be, there are two phone numbers in the household. Not to mention they could have a home phone. They could have an office phone. One time I had a competition and said, how many phone numbers can we get? I had someone bring in six phone numbers for one person. (laughs) So it's not that we can't get it. It's that we're not asking. And so, but again, people only do what's in their own best interest. If I say, hey, can I get another phone number so I can call you a bunch? The answer will be no. So instead, I have to show them, hey, you know, I live in Michigan. So this is the analogy we use that works great. And Tony, you can attest to this. I say, hey, if something came up on our end about the appointment, if we were coming out to see and we hit a deer or something, what would be a better number to reach on if we couldn't get a hold of you on this one? And so um, oftentimes customer goes, oh, yeah, I've had that happen. Okay, here's the number. We need a second number. Well, hey, if we couldn't reach it here and we needed to reach it during the day to confirm, what would be the best number to reach at during the day? Well, here's my office number. Here's my extension. Now I've got three phone numbers. I have just tripled... My probability alone of getting a hold of these people, whether it's confirmation or something else, now I can get a hold of them. Plus, I have more people I can text. So, one of the things that we're incorporating a lot into our industry is we're using a lot more text-friendly type of uh, technology. You know, there's a lot of these vendors out there that help us with this, and so we can send co- customers not only automated text messages, but as soon as they send uh, set an appointment, we can have a we can have a technology that once we put it into our iPad, it sends them a, a text immediately, and reminds them of the appointment so if we can keep that in front of them and we send them home with a paper appointment reminder and maybe we give them a pre-positioning packet which is a whole nother you know webinar we could talk about for for days on how what that does to closing rate um but we we bring them something we give them something tangible and then we hit them with the text message and then we hit them with an email it's a very small chance that they can number one forget about the appointment number two it can really set us apart from our competitors because most of them give you nothing but a Business card this big that ends up in the trash can at the end of the aisle. Okay. Um, and so you're not very memorable if you text, if you email, if you send a digital prep packet through a PDF. I mean, it can only make the lead stronger. And so, why would we not want to do our conversions this way? Why would we not want to do these extra things? Because I look at it, and when I coach my clients, I tell them this I'm like, guys. Don't fumble in the end zone. We just did all this work to bring them into the booth. We did all this work, okay, to set the appointment, build rapport, uncover need, value of the visit, close them for the appointment. We did all this work. You're going to, in the last two minutes when we're closing up, we're giving them a text where, you know, don't fumble. You've got to finish it off. You've got to get them the appointment reminder, get them something in their hands, get them a text message reminding them of who we are before they go to the next booth. Give them such a great experience that they walk away going, wow. Wow these guys have their stuff together. I don't even know if I need to go to five more booths. Right. That's what we want. That's what we want them to feel. So, yeah. so yeah. You,
0: you mentioned the word finish, you know, and, and finishing, you know, these appointments off and going the distance, right? When, when mm-hmm. are these leads dead? You know, when you, when you generate 100 at a hundred leads at a, at a home show or 50 leads at a home show, and let's say 25 of them convert right away. What do we do with the other 25? And when, when are they considered dead?
1: Uh, When they buy or they die. Yeah. I mean, the, the reality is, is that a lot of companies now have lead nurturing programs anyway. So, you know, we want to reset these appointments as soon as possible. If they are canceling, um, the chances are they could have bought from someone else. That's so very highly, you know, it's likely at a home and garden show if they cancel the appointment. It might be because we didn't get out there quick enough, Tony. If we're not setting leads in the first 48, 72 hours, I mean, I was setting same days at home shows when I was doing them. So I'm not afraid of of same days or next days. Some companies, for whatever reason, are your cancel rate after 72 hours on a home show lead is like 80%. So if you're pushing leads out weeks and months at a time because of you're dead. I mean, you're going to convert 20%. You might make a couple of sales and you're going to come out the other side with the same story. The home shows don't work. Well, is it that, or did we not have our processes together to field these properly? Um, So, you know, there's a few things that can, that can help us with that for sure.
0: Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this. I mean, if we've got marketers in the booth, And the salespeople are now free to cover these appointments, and hopefully we can get to them more quickly to help with conversions. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that speed to lead component kicks in. But is there anything we need to do to prepare salespeople for home show appointments? You know, if they have not run these types of appointments before, if they're used to more inbound appointments or appointments from other sources,
1: Hmm. Yeah. So the home show leads a competitive lead, right? There's no secret in that. We're going to a shark tank with all of our competitors. Okay. So salespeople, if they are used to running pay-per-click leads, if they're used to running lead aggregator, they'll probably be okay. It's very similar, right? Like it's a competitive lead. There's three or four of us fighting and clawing to get to the top and get to this homeowner, right? But yeah, if they're used to an SEO lead where they come on our website, they think we're beautiful and they love us and they call only us and have us over. Well, I mean, I could train many people to sell that lead pretty easily, right? So um, the urgency, what most people don't realize with the home show lead is the urgency factor is a lot of times already built. Like they took, again, physical and financial action to come here to see home improvement companies. Um, So you have that side of it. Salespeople need to understand their competition, though, and they need to know because if they're going in against five other companies, and we know that ahead of time, and we know that every year we compete against these same five companies... Shame on us for not knowing who we're competing against. Shame on us for not going to the home show as a salesperson in plain clothes and going to the booth and finding out what they're offering. Shame on us for not taking and going proactive with this and being more reactive of, oh, I'm bidding against such and such. You find out later that, you know, they filed bankruptcy three months ago. Well... That might be important to know when I'm pitching against them, right? That in a year, their warranties are going to be null and void. I worked a show years ago, Tony, where I interviewed a sales manager and he told me the company's going down. They're straight across from me at the home and garden show. Scary stuff. We we should know our competition. and. If we know for a fact we're pitching against them, we have to prepare for that. So salespeople need to know their competition, know what they're offering so that they can be ahead of the game and not surprised when the customer says we're getting a quote from such and such. And they say, how do you compare to them? And you just say, I don't know. Right. We're cheaper. That's not a good that's not a good way to go because right. <laughs> you're probably not.
0: <laughs> so so it's wintertime just a couple of days before Christmas here as we record this. And, you know, wintertime brings a lot of indoor events, not just home shows, you know, there's boat shows, RV shows, car shows, gun shows, you know, are those viable? Are they worth doing? Are they as good as home shows or in your opinion?
1: Uh, Yes, if there are people there that own homes, I would like to be there. And that's pretty much been the moral of my story, my entire career. Um, if it's a if it's a show for people that rent, I probably wouldn't do it, Tony. But if it's something like RV show, gun and knife show, fruit and vegetable expo, farmer market, what what do you find at these events? Well, a lot of those are people with expendable income. People don't go to the RV show to shop for a hundred or two hundred thousand dollar RV. They don't own a house some people downsizing, maybe live in the RV in the future. You know, you get some, some snowbirds like that for sure. But for the most part, the people going to the RV show, you know, they're people with expendable income. So why would I not want to be there? Now, my approach has to change. You know, I can't go to the beer, wine and food fest and shout about home improvements. I tried it. Don't do it. I'm telling you. Um, Instead, I had to find a more, I had to find a, a more engaging tool to speak to people about beer, wine and food. I can't just show up with my giveaway and hope for the best. Instead, at shows like that, I have to go with the theme of the show. If it's a golf show, I have to have something golf related to get them in the booth. If it's a boat show, maybe I have some trivia about boating that I want them to, answer and there's a prize, right? Um, When it comes to the auto show, as you know, was one of my favorites year after year. Um, When we did the auto show, I had to find a way to give away something that people would really like. Obviously, I can't give away a free car. That'd be a little bit steep on my budget. However, I said to myself, what would people like that go to a car show? Well, they like to look at classic things. They like to stay. They like to play maybe they would like a drone. And so I gave away a drone. And this was like seven years ago when drones weren't like everyone had one, right? But the perceived value of the drone was very high. And I thought people that like cars, they'd probably like to play with something like this. So I had a big treasure chest, we put the drone in the treasure chest, I had keys made up that unlocked the treasure chest. And we okayed it with the show span, our our show producer to hand out keys at the front door to drive traffic, right? So again, at the auto show, I had a line of people lined up to try their key in the chest and crowds create crowds. So if I have a crowd of people that are standing in line to try their key and see what's going on, other people say, oh, what are they doing? Fear of loss kicks in. I don't want to miss out. What's going on? And they want to come over to our booth. So shows and events, we do have to have an engaging tool. At the Beer, Wine, and Food Fest, after I found out carnival barking wasn't working, I went and invested in a bunch of all-weather sealed branded wine openers. So instead of asking them to enter my giveaway, these cost me 12 cents apiece, I stood in the aisle and handed them to people. And with the law of reciprocity, Tony, I did something nice for them. They now feel like they have to talk to me. So they did something nice for me, and they talked to me about their next home improvement projects.
0: Yeah, I love you know candy canes this time of year. If you're oh. doing live events or even in-store programs, um, gift mm-hmm. wrapping stations
1: inside your- Gift wrapping. Yeah. My friend, uh, and she's not in our industry, but you know, my friend Kim, she she's now, she owns her own Allstate branch. And we use that, we put on our own event, a gift wrapping event to draw traffic into her business. Hey, come on in. We'll wrap your, men, we don't want you to have to wrap these gifts. We're much better at it than you are. Bring them in. And by the way, we'll quote your boat, your life, your home your car insurance. And it works. So it's not even just our industry. The principles work because we provide a value to the person looking for the value. And in exchange, hey, let's talk about, you know, how you're insured. Same thing with us. You know, Uh, they may not be coming looking, you know, they're not coming to the Bloody Mary Festival looking for gutter protection. But people that drink Bloody Marys own homes and there's sometimes leaves on the trees around the home so we have to think deeper and is my demographic at this specific event and if they are it's worth giving it a shot we can get into some of these events tony like if we're not talking big trade show we're talking the strawberry festival i mean i had a seventy thousand dollar window and siding sale out of a bass festival once 70 grand. Who would have thought the guy that paid 70 grand cash for windows and siding was coming to the darn fishing festival in this little tiny podunk town where the average home value was $40,000. Everyone told me, you're crazy. That's not your demographic. I said, people that live here don't go to the show. People that fish go to the show. And if they have a boat and they're really big into fishing, it costs money. They have it. And so they, oh, wow, Megan. So there's people that uh, live on lakes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) sure are right so i mean tony i did a wizard of oz festival once it's you know why because there's a lot of old people that are obsessed with wizard of oz and old seniors happen to be my demographic so i want to be there so you know and you can get into some of these shows tony i've gotten the shows for 20 bucks 50 bucks 100 bucks one of my clients got into this bloody mary festival in wisconsin a few months back had a twenty thousand dollars sale all it cost him was payroll and and setting up and tearing down cost him nothing to get in
0: So I I love guess and win contests at those events. You know, if you're at a strawberry festival, guess how many strawberries are in the jar. If you're at a golf Mm -hmm. show, guess how many golf tees or golf balls. Wine festivals with corks and, you know. I did that
1: with... uh Christmas ornaments around Christmas. I had snow, fake snow, Christmas ornaments, red and green. And, you know, I'd have people come up, hey, guess how many ornaments I did that when you came up and we did our Walmart program in Traverse City years ago. Um, We did some guess and wins with the ornaments and that went great. As long as it goes with the theme of the reason they're there, it attracts the attention. If I get the eyeballs and I get the attention, I have somewhere to go. If I don't have any attention and they just say "Mm, home improvements, Now, I'm at the Danish festival. I'm here to talk about Danish stuff, right? You have to have a reason that they actually stop at the booth. And if it's related to the theme of the show, you just look like you fit there, you know, have a convincing story. Um, You know, if you go to the hunting and fishing show, you better have a reason that you're there, right? Or you better be shooting squirrels off the metal roof display, which is what I was doing. I had a a whole thing step right up and shoot the squirrel and then you'd win a a prize five dollars off your shopping trip at cabela's ten dollars off this you know we we had a lot of different prizes but it all had to relate to the theme that's great well how do people get in touch with you megan if they want some more
0: tips can they follow you online and if they if they help in preparation for a show that sort of thing what's the best way to reach out to you
1: yeah, absolutely. Uh you can email me at Megan at TonyHody.com. Um, you can also give me a call. My number is 269-330-2688. Feel free to text or or call. Leave me a voicemail. I'm very busy. So if I don't get with you, I will get back with you, however. Um, usually I like to set up a discovery call from then and we'll we'll just talk for maybe 30 minutes. And you know, whether you decide to to have me coach you or or help your your company or your team, um, you'll get a lot of valuable information just out of that 30 minutes. You know, I'll be able to give you some tips, you know, whether we work together or not, it'll be helpful for you. You'll come out the other side saying, well, it's a, a good spend of my time. So um, you can find me on Facebook, you know, Megan Knows Marketing. I have a, a Facebook page for my business. I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. I have a bunch of free content on there people can go look at. So feel free and then reach out to me if there's anything I can help you with or you just have a couple of questions, I'm happy to help.
0: Awesome. Well, in closing, I, I like to talk about failure because I feel like we always like to talk about what it takes to be successful. And, you know, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from failure. You know, what mm-hmm. you what failures, you know, have you yourself experienced that maybe, you know, can help people learn what not to do with events, um, things to, to steer clear of so that they're successful mm-hmm. with the home shows and events in 2023?
1: Hmm. Well, the first uh, thing that I really learned is you have to make sure that the people that you have working on your staff, okay, you got to hire character and train skill. And so I learned that the hard way, Tony, because in shows and events, if you're doing 300 shows a year, like I was, you have a lot of unsupervised people running around. Okay. And so the biggest fail for me was, um, people know what I do for a living. And uh, all over Michigan, if you're in the home improvement realm, you probably know about something I've done or you've seen it. And so I have a lot of friends in the show and event market. So what I tell all the people that work for me is, hey, just so you know, even if I'm not at the show, I'm at the show. Just, just so you're aware, right? So one morning, I wake up. It's a Saturday morning. I have you know, my normal three to five shows going on a weekend. And someone sends me a picture of my booth. And uh, it was completely laying on the ground. The window was sideways on the ground. The backdrop was not set up. The enter to win box was tipped over on its side. Leads were pouring out of it. And I see customers at the neighboring booths, at other people's booths under their tent, talking to them while my display is laying on its side. And my guys were supposed to set up an hour and a half ago. I call them and say, where are you? They said they're at McDonald's eating breakfast. I got a little bit of a late start, Tony. And I found out that um, if I don't inspect what I expect, I'm going to get exactly, exactly that, what I don't expect. And so I found out that I have to have people in an unsupervised position that I can trust and rely on. And if I can't, it's not worth having them out there because I'm going to pay thousands of dollars in booth fees. I'm going to be paying them to drive my company vehicles out of town to do these shows. Some cases they're staying overnight And driving, I have to make sure I have good people I can rely on. And I learned that through having bad people I couldn't rely on and finding out that that was a really poor choice of people. And, you know, they ended up being not good character. And when I found that out, I really wished I hadn't hired them because not only did they wreck that one show for me, but... You know, what other damage do they do to the other employees? And so you really want to make sure, especially in unsupervised positions, that it's someone we can really trust and rely on. And I, I think too too often someone comes in with a slick story of how many leads they wrote in our industry or they come in saying what a great salesperson they are and they could sell a nice to an Eskimo and all this nonsense that I just can't stand more than anything else. Um and, you know, sometimes we buy into that because we need someone badly. And I would encourage us in the shows and events, especially don't do that because someone's seeing someone, of bad character at your show, doing something bad, like vaping or smoking in the booth or something of that nature, you'll end up really wishing that you would make it a different decision. So, you know, don't sh- chase the shiny penny, you know, get the, get the dusty penny and then clean it off. That's really what we need to do, you know? So yeah, yeah.
0: people for sure. Start with people and, and give them a process and everything takes care of itself. Right. Absolutely. Well, awesome. I'm sure the listeners are all very appreciative and we wish you a Merry Christmas and all the listeners and happy holidays to everyone. We're looking forward to a fruitful 2023 for everyone. Hopefully take advantage of these tips and we'll see you back soon on the Gutter Grind. Thanks for your time, Megan. Thanks. Have a
1: good one, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays.